Welcome to this edition of Fixed Interest, where we will be discussing the U.S. sovereign rating. My name is Shali Shetty, and I'm a Managing Director and Head of Americas and Asia Sovereign Ratings. I'm happy to be joined by Charles Civil, the co-head for the Americas Sovereign Ratings and the primary analyst for the U.S. By background, we recently revised the rating outlook of USA's AAA rating to stable from negative. We had previously assigned the negative outlook in July of 2020 to reflect the deterioration in the U.S. public financial and the absence of a credible fiscal consolidation plan back then. Now, economic and fiscal developments through the pandemic have been better than we were expecting, although more recently, headwinds from high inflation, Fed tightening, and financial market volatility have risen, raising concerns about a possible U.S. recession. So, Charles, uh, just to kick off and set the stage for our discussion, uh, what were the main reasons for stabilizing the U.S. rating outlook? And perhaps you can outline how and why economic and fiscal developments have diverged from our earlier expectations. Thanks, Shelley. So I think the two main reasons were that we had a much stronger performance in public finances than we expected at the time that we put the US on negative outlook, which was in July 2020. Um, we had a V-shaped recovery essentially in the economy and then public finances also performed a lot better. So that meant lower deficits um, and lower uh, debt ratios as well. There's one other factor to mention, which is that given the high inflation that we've seen, that's increased nominal GDP, uh, it's increased the tax base, it's also increased the denominator in the debt to GDP ratio. So now the debt to GDP ratio is around 113, 114% of GDP, uh, whereas it was just below 100 uh, prior to the um, pandemic. By way of context, that is higher as a debt ratio than any other AAA sovereign. Now, Charles, as we head into second half of this year and early 2023, the main economic risks appear to be centered around high inflation and a possible U.S. recession. How do you see policymakers' response so far, and has that affected policy credibility in your view? Uh, how do you see policymakers reacting in a scenario of a possible U.S. recession, and what could be the main implications for the U.S. sovereign rating? Inflation is certainly a hot topic and something that the administration cares a lot about, but can't do that much about. Uh, we have seen some talk about some ad hoc measures. Um, we have seen some ad hoc measures at the state level, but not really very much at the federal level. So we haven't seen a, a reduction in tariffs on Chinese goods, for example, or a reduction in the federal gasoline tax. Uh, these probably wouldn't have a very big impact anyway. So I think the ball is really in the course of the Federal Reserve, um, and we continue to see rates rising by over to over 3% by the end of 2022 a sort of front-loaded increase, if you like. In terms of the response and policy credibility, I think this does, the inflationary surge that we've seen does perhaps make it less likely that we'll see a large discretionary fiscal response to future downturns. I think that idea has become slightly discredited by the uh, increase in inflation that we've seen. That may in turn mean that we get lower deficits through a recession, um, than we otherwise would do. Um, but I think it depends very much on the type of recession that we get, if indeed we have one. Our forecast is that the economy sort of starts to slow in 2022, um, and then we get 
two years of below trend growth in, in 2023 and 2024, uh, 1.5% and 1.3% respectively. And that would compare with potential growth of just below 2%. Charles, uh, delving a little bit into fiscal policy and public debt dynamics, uh, how do you see the baseline evolving? And how do you see rising interest rates in the context of a relatively short debt maturity profile of the US impacting public debt dynamics? And in your view, under what conditions could the outlook for public debt dynamics become more concerning uh, for the US? Worth remembering that fiscal policy has actually been quite contractionary um, and will probably continue to be so in the, in the short run. So if you look quarter and quarter, government spending has actually been falling, uh, particularly if you look at transfer payments, and that reflects pandemic relief spending rolling off. Now, um, that would lead to continued uh, falls and deficits in the short run, uh, but I think see, over the longer run, uh, we do see deficits widening. Uh, one of the reasons for that is higher interest rates. So if you look today at the cost that the US federal government is paying to borrow across the yield curve over one year, it's now paying about 3%. If you go back a year previously, then it was able to borrow at around 1% or less uh, from around zero to, to five years. So that the yield curve has, has definitely shifted upwards a lot. Now, if you look at the average interest rate that the US is paying on its debt, it's now climbing quite steeply, so it's 1.7%. So you can see there's a gap there. If we got to the point where the average interest rate caught up with today's borrowing cost, then that would imply uh, that the average interest rate climbs by over one percentage points. Um, now, that will happen gradually because the average maturity of the US debt is about six years. There's a large stock of treasury bills, and then there's um, a stock of, of longer term bills, and it averages out at longer term notes rather, and it averages out at, at six years. So when you look at the medium term debt dynamics for the US, then interest rates do, do play a part uh, in increasing the, the share of interest payments as a proportion of revenue, um, and that, that is uh, something that, that does weigh on the debt dynamics. But I'd say probably not as important as the deficit outlook itself. Um, the US is unique because it doesn't really have a medium term fiscal strategy. There aren't really any um, fiscal rules um, that, that govern the level of the deficit. Um, so we don't have a very clear um, view on, on how the deficit will evolve. The closest thing that we have is the Congressional Budget Office 10 year outlook that can tell you how the budget outlook will evolve on a current law basis and can also tell you uh, how that would evolve under different policy scenarios. One scenario that we did look at when we looked at the medium term is what happens if the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act tax changes uh, that affect personal taxation uh, don't come into force in 2025. Um, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed in 2017 included some provisions that would start to raise personal income tax revenues. Um, but the track record in the US suggests that lawmakers may actually choose to postpone those coming into effect, um, and that would uh, result in a loss of revenue um, and wider deficits. And when you factor that in, uh, you do start to see the debt burden climbing, um, particularly after 2025. But obviously, this is quite some time away. Conditions may have changed by then, um, but we'd be looking at 
the debt rising from around 113% of GDP today. This is for the general government debt to over 120% by 2026. Just to follow up, Charles, uh, how do you weigh the high debt burden in the U.S. against its tremendous financing flexibility given the unmatched reserve currency status of the U.S. dollar? And do you see any risks uh, to the status? As you say, U.S. debt is now much higher than in other AAA countries. So the federal debt, we'd estimate at around 98% of GDP in 2022 and the general government debt at around 113% of GDP. That latter metric is the one that we use to compare across countries and it's the one that goes into our sovereign rating model. But set against that, we do have this um, reserve currency status or financing flexibility. Um, Really reserve currency status stands for that and it's something that we can measure if you look at the share of the US dollar in global foreign exchange reserves. It's around 60%, so that's well ahead of any other currency. In terms of risks to that, um, I think that these are very slow moving. Obviously, as the US declines in relative importance uh, in the global economy, it may be that other currencies and other countries start to play more of a role. And we are seeing you know, internationalization of the yuan. Um, the euro obviously has been a bit troubled uh, over the last decade or so, but depending on how that goes, um, might start to play more of a role. Um, but the US Treasury market is is the deepest and most liquid in the world. US government debt functions as the world's risk-free safe haven asset, uh, and there is simply no substitute in terms of size um, for, for that. And that really is one of the, the strongest supports for, for the rating at the current level. Now, Charles, shifting to our last topic, which is politics, um, how does the U.S. stack up on governance uh, risk compared to other AAA-rated sovereigns? And what are the risks involved here? Um, you know, obviously, we have an approaching midterm elections in November. So how do you see political winds shifting and what could be the policy and reform implications of these elections? Uh, for example, how do you see the discussion regarding debt ceiling evolving next year? And do you think congressional makeup will be conducive for addressing long-term challenges such as entitlement reform? U.S. institutions and governance are still a strength when you compare them against the rated universe. They're in the 78th percentile, but there are some weaknesses within that. I would say uh, political stability, this percentile rank has actually declined to below 50 suppose there are some concerns here. One is polarization makes it very difficult to pass legislation through Congress. For example, looking at the medium term challenges such as rising costs of mandatory spending, such as security and health care, um, which are not currently being sustainably funded. Uh, the trust funds that back these programs are going to run dry in the 2030s. And we're not seeing action today to tackle those kinds of issues. Clearly, it's something that, that's unpopular. Um, politicians don't sort of want to touch it, and that's understandable. But uh, even 10 years ago, probably we were getting more conversations around uh, reforms to those programs than, than we are today. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is, is the polarization that we've seen. The debt limit is another area where polarization directly impacts on issues that we consider to be sort of pretty central to the rating. So. If the government gets to the so-called X date, that's when it can no longer operate within the existing debt limits. Um, then 
we you know we consider that to be a, a negative rating trigger and it's never actually happened we've come very close so in october 2021 we got within several days of, of the x date um in 2013 we came within two days of the x date uh, and we put the rating on rating watch negative um, until the situation was resolved um, and this is something that really only happens in the US. There's no other advanced country with a, with a debt limit that needs to be raised. And it creates a piece of must pass legislation. And it's, it's uh, something that will continue to, I think, be subject to a lot of um, dispute and, and bargaining in the Congress. But ultimately, we would always very much expect the situation to be resolved. But there is a tail risk that it might not be resolved. I think that wraps it up for us. Uh, thanks a lot, Charles, for your insight. Thank you for listening and for more on the U.S. You can access our research on our website, FitchRatings.com. I hope you will join us in the next Fixed Interest podcast. Thank you.